Amen. All right, if you would turn back once again to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And I want to draw your attention to verses 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want to take for our study tonight our light affliction, what does it work in us? Our light affliction, what does it work in us? Uh, these words in these two verses supply us the very reason why we are not to faint under trials, why we are to not be overwhelmed by affliction. We are to look at our afflictions and our trials and only to view them in light of eternity. Our trials and our afflictions have a way of affirming and teaching us and presenting to us a great spiritual benefit. If we firmly grasp the truth of the reason and the working of affliction, it will take away a lot of the bitterness of the sorrows that we experience in this life. Affliction is often not referred to or not thought of as a means of God's grace, but it's just that. Affliction actually provides and proves to be a great blessing to a person's soul. The problem is, is we often only feel the affliction in our body, but we don't realize the benefit that it's giving to the soul. Our adversities, our afflictions, our troubles, our struggles, our trials, they're not going to produce faith, but God often uses adversity and affliction to strengthen our faith. So affliction is not without purpose. The Apostle Paul uses a very interesting way to describe it. He says, our light affliction. Our light affliction. Now Paul does not have in mind here that it means it's not anything that's heavy. It doesn't mean that it's not something that is going to lead to trial or struggle. But this is a compare and contrast that when we look at our affliction and we compare it to what we are to compare it to, we realize that affliction in this world is indeed light. So Paul here sets forth in this verse, this first verse, he sets forth before us a very striking contrast between our future state with our present. Here, in this life, there is affliction. There, only glory. Here, there's affliction. There, there's only glory. Here, there is light affliction. There, Paul describes it as a weight of glory. 
So we see that what Paul is doing in the midst of this reading that we read for our scripture reading, he is comparing what our present affliction, how we should view it, and remember and answer the question that we've taken for our subject tonight, what does light affliction work in us? In our affliction, Paul teaches us here, there is a time constraint on it. In other words, this affliction that we feel here is not an eternal affliction for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's brief. There is brevity about it. It does not last forever. That's why Paul uses the terminology, it's a light affliction. Now in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about those things which are afflicting him. He talks about the fact in verse 8, we're troubled on every side, but notice Paul contrasts it with, yet we're not distressed. Paul in no way, shape, or form is denying that there is affliction. On the contrary, he says, of course there's affliction. But he says, we're not distressed. We are perplexed, he says, but not in despair. And then notice that word persecuted. I have that word underlined in red. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Not left on our own, not left apart from God. Persecuted, without a doubt, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And then Paul gives this glorious truth, always bearing about in the body, that's the human body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest, watch this, in our body. We are to bear in our body the death and the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, it's in our body. But he says, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest, here it is again, in our mortal flesh. So then, he says, death worketh in us, but life in you. Paul was able to make the connection between the persecution and the afflictions that he was experiencing and understand that those afflictions were working something in him. Worketh in us that in order that it's working death in us, but it's working life in you. You see, to discover the real gem in this contrast, right? To really understand how how important this principle is to gain, especially what he says in verse 17. He only can say that because he has an understanding that the, the afflictions that he's going through is working in him. 
It is working in us. It has a purpose. It has a goal. It is not for naught. No one says, give me all the affliction I can possibly handle. The matter of fact, the body says, I want to avoid any hint of affliction. But where the working is happening is in our soul. So when our soul is being worked in and worked upon, it is then how we can look at what goes on in our afflictions and what goes in on our trials and our tribulations. And instead of looking at the affliction, we look at the glory which is to come. And when we understand the glory which is to come, our affliction becomes light. You see, we don't have a light affliction until we understand the glory which is to come. That's what Paul has in mind here. To discover the preciousness of affliction is to understand what is to come. Here, we have affliction. There, we have glory. Here, light affliction. There, a weight of glory. That's what Paul has in mind here. Now notice that he also makes mention not only of this light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We're going to, in a way, we're going to work backwards with this verse. So let's look at that expression, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of the glory. Meditate upon those words for a moment. A far more exceeding. This is meant to really, the repetition of a far more exceeding is to show us just how far this is. Not only is it an exceeding weight, but it's an eternal weight of glory, Paul says. It's very significant that in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for glory also means weight. So when you read that, you really see a far more exceeding and eternal weight of weight. When we add weight to, a, to gold, when we add weight to a precious stone, the value of that gold, the value of that stone goes up. It increases its worth. We cannot even begin to describe the glory and the happiness and the joy that heaven is going to afford us in words that can be described in earthly terms. It's impossible for us to completely understand what heaven is going to be like. But this is one of those phrases that gives us a pretty good idea. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Someone says, what's heaven going to be like? Well, there's the answer. Now, heaven becomes more glorious especially when we consider our present affliction. Again, Paul is not saying that affliction is no big deal. But he's saying when you compare it with this exceeding weight, it becomes light. What awaits us is what the Bible describes as glory. When we say something is glorious, now I don't know if you've ever considered this, but when we say that is glorious, that word means that we have reached the limit of what the human language can express. 
So when we say glory to God, we are saying we've reached the limit of what the human words can express. When we say this far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory, it's far more than what we can even express in human terms. But not, a, not only is it something that is beyond human language to express, but it also means something that is excellent and perfect. So the glory of the Lord, we cannot express it in earthly terms, but it's also excellent and, per, and perfect. And Paul says this is what's awaiting us. Now the word us here obviously is referring to those who could be said of in 2 Corinthians 4. Those who are believers. Those who are walking in faith. Glory that awaits us is a weighted glory. What is its weight? A far more exceeding. Which means it exceeds not just in earthly weight terms, but it exceeds anything that can be compared earthly or in a temporal way. In other words, I cannot describe heaven and its glory with anything earthly. There is no comparison. Heaven is not just a better version of earth. It's, it's too glorious for words. That's what Paul has in mind here. It's beyond verbal description. It's immeasurable. Now, in a sense, our affliction here on this earth can be measured. We can measure affliction by the pain it maybe inflicts. We may be able to say, I can measure the affliction by its length, how long this affliction has been afflicting me. But Paul says when you get a proper vision and a proper view of what's waiting you, no matter how long the affliction is and no matter how heavy it is and no matter how painful it is, when you compare it to the glory that's awaiting you, it becomes light. That's what he has in mind. Again, Paul is saying persecuted, yes. Cast down, yes. But remember, what, the, what affliction is doing is not as much working in us, humanly speaking, but what it's doing in our soul. That's what's at the heart of this. This glory that's awaiting us is not fleeting. It's not temporal. But it is divinely created and it is eternal. Something that is eternal cannot be eternal unless it's divine. In other words, when we say something is eternal, that means God is the author of that. Mankind cannot create anything eternal. As a matter of fact, anything man makes corrupts, breaks, originally, eventually just stops. But eternity, when weighed with our afflictions now is what Paul continues to have in mind. The very great and blessed thing that God is going to give to us is only that which is worthy of Himself. In other words, He's not going to give us something that is less than what He is. That's a bit of a deep thought there. 
But he's not going to give us something less than what he's already promised. So again, notice the phrase in verse 17, for us. Just like we read in how we are, the life of Jesus is made manifest in our body. It's for us in our mortal flesh. Now go back to verse 13 and look, he says, we having the same spirit, right? We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. And look at this. And shall present us with you. This is the confidence of knowing about the resurrection. Knowing that death to the body does not mean death to the soul. You can kill the body, but you can't kill the soul. That man I told you about, they took his body, but they did not take his soul. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Death is a graduation to this far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. That's what death is. Outwardly speaking, death often is preceded by affliction. We become afflicted, something afflicts us. It may be health, maybe something else. But what do we receive as the result of the end of the light affliction? We receive that far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. As we're working our way backwards, now look at what he says about this affliction. He says, our light affliction, which is, again, I have these two words circled, but for a moment. Affliction is a common experience by every human being who has lived or ever will live. No human being will live without some sort of affliction. It's common. In Job chapter 5, verse 7, I don't know if you could put it any clearer than the way the Bible describes it there. Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Let's remember that the reason there's affliction, and there's no getting around this, it's part of the consequences of sin. We experience pain and agony and suffering in the human body due to sin. But I want you to think about something. It was never the intention of God that a fallen creature, a sinner like you and I, were ever supposed to be perfectly happy in a sinful body. It's not the intent that we find our happiness and our comfort in these tabernacles it's why the bible has such an such an emphasis on love not the world and the things that are in the world not taking up treasures for yourself here we're we're never meant to be content and happy here in these bodies 
we also have to understand that as the children of God, we are not exempted from the struggles and the afflictions. Acts 14.22, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. By this road of affliction, these light afflictions, ultimately God leads us to this glory. But notice Paul says it's but for a moment. Now keep that thought in mind for a moment, but look again at the word light. Paul says our affliction is light. Paul never meant to say here that the afflictions are light in themselves because sometimes the afflictions that are in our lives are very heavy and they are very grievous. We are, we are grieved by them. But again, what's the principle here? Paul is saying that compared to the far more exceeding weight of glory that awaits you, every affliction in this life is light. When you compare it to what is awaiting you. You say, but what about the affliction that I have? When compared to the glory that awaits you, it's light. It's light, especially when it's compared to what you and I really deserve. We don't deserve the far more exceeding weight of glory eternally that's waiting us. What we deserve is what sinners deserve. We deserve to be cast down into hell for all of eternity. That's what we deserve. When we compare our affliction to what the Lord Jesus Christ suffered for us, no matter what our affliction is, it's light. When we compare it to the sufferings of Christ. But I think even at the heart of this, Paul really has the idea that the lightness of this of the affliction is best seen, again, when we compare it to the weight of glory which is awaiting. Remember what Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 8. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul, again, he's not saying that he didn't suffer. If anyone knew what it was to suffer firsthand, it's Paul. He knew what suffering was. But he said, when I compare it to the glory, those inexpressible words that I cannot even comprehend, there's no comparison. And again, he says it's for a moment. You realize a moment when compared for eternity could be your whole lifetime. If you suffered an affliction for 100 years and you live for 100 years, it's still only a moment. And it's still light when compared with the weight of glory that's awaiting you. Humanly speaking, nobody says, I can handle 100 years of affliction. 
But yet the encouragement here that Paul is trying through the, the inspiration of the Scripture to get our eyes off of the temporal nature of this world and this life and to get our eyes on that which awaits us. Because it's then and only then that we can look at our afflictions and say, this is nothing compared to what's awaiting me. When you compare it to eternity, it's only a moment. We might say, along with James, that at most our affliction is only for this present life. What is our life? How does James describe our life? He describes it as a vapor. I'm paraphrasing. That appears for a little while, a moment, and then it vanishes away. Humanly speaking, the body vanishes from this earth, but the soul doesn't die. What's being worked in you through affliction is not for the benefit of the body temporally, it's for the eternal soul. So he says this light affliction is for a moment. But then go to that phrase in the middle of this, worketh for us. This is the connection. Okay, The connection is between our light affliction, which is but for a moment, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The worketh for us is what connects the two thoughts. Our light affliction, what is it working in us? It's what Paul's been describing in the rest of the chapter. But notice again what he says in verse 18. He clearly says, while we look not at the things which are seen, things that are temporal, we, but at the things which are not seen. That's to look at the things that are eternal. These are not seen with human eyes. The things of this earth are seen with eyes. But the things that Paul says that we are looking at are the things that cannot be seen with human eyes. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The very key to what Paul is saying here is that in the midst of afflictions and trials and sufferings, Paul says what you must do is you must focus on the eternal things. The things that are not visible with the human eye. It will not take you long tonight when you leave this place or even tomorrow morning. It will not take you long before your eyes are on everything that you can see with the physical eye. Because it's always what's right in front of you. It's always right there. Paul says to have viewing eternal things. We really do have a difficulty in doing this. This connection between the light affliction for a moment that works in us. Notice, it's working in us. The affliction is working for us this far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. In other words, the present affliction is affecting the future. Now, what we can't do is try to reason through everything that that means for us. 
But I believe what Paul would have us to do as he wrote through the inspiration of the Spirit is take God's Word, take Him at His Word and believe it. Believe it. That our light affliction, if we believe God's Word, our light affliction is for a moment, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It, it's not for nothing. Oftentimes, and again, I think this is the dangerous place for all of us. Oftentimes, instead of looking upon what the affliction is doing for us or what it's working in us, afflictions tend to make us more rebellious and more discontent. In other words, when we become afflicted, our satisfaction drops, our contentment drops. But remember, God sends afflictions for a reason. I I think this is a profound thought. Afflictions are not sent by God for the purpose of making our earthly bodies better. They're actually sent for the benefit of the new creation that's in you. The soul. Afflictions, in other words, prepare us for the glory that's to come. That's a great mystery. Earthly speaking, trying to connect your light afflictions here and how they prepare you for the glory to follow. But that's what God's word said. That's what he's saying. It's preparing you for the glory that awaits you. I reach the end of my human vocabulary to describe to you fully what that means. Because I can't, I can't come up with the words to describe the glory of what that means. But it helps prepare us. Working in us, what is it doing? It's working in us to prepare us for the glory that awaits us. But affliction also draws our heart away from the love of the things of this world. Notice how when people become afflicted, suddenly the things of the world don't seem quite as important as they once did. Afflictions give us perspective in life. We've probably all been there where we've said, listen, I used to be fretful and worry about things like this of the world, and now this affliction's been coming. Those things just seem to have fallen off. They don't seem to matter like they once did because the afflictions are drawing your soul to turn your eyes upon the Lord. What it does when our eyes are taken away from the love of the world and the temporal nature of them, it makes us long more for the time when we will no longer have to worry about the presence of sin. We won't have to worry about the presence of sorrow. We won't have to grieve over losses. But to believe what the Scripture says, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, is to experience that weight of glory. Everyone who's gone on before us, every believer who's gone on before us, is in some way, shape, or form experiencing that weight of glory. You and I can't describe that because we haven't experienced it yet. We're still in these corrupting tabernacles. 
But what affliction does is it draws, uh, draws our heart away from the love of the, of the world, and it certainly does bring us to a new appreciation and a way of worship and worshiping God for the things that he's prepared for such undeserving people like us. He's working. A man by the name of Don Fortner, some of you may know this name, he had a quote that just absolutely just floored me in the way he described it. He said, every trial, every providential adversity, every difficulty of life is a message from God. Our troubles in this world are sent by our Heavenly Father and are intended to draw us to Christ, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Scriptures, and to teach us to pray. As trials are used of God to bring us to Christ and cause us to trust Him, so our trials are designed to keep us clinging to Christ and to strengthen our faith in Him. Every trial and every providential adversity, every difficulty of life, we should view with the reality of the weight of that coming glory. So Paul here then shows us what to do. On one hand, consider the present affliction. In the other hand, consider the far more exceeding weight of glory that awaits you. Just try to visualize it. Do they even compare? No. There's absolutely no comparison. When I view the affliction and I compare it to what awaits us, there's no way to compare them. One millisecond of being in the presence of God and being in this far more exceeding weight of glory is going to outweigh even an entire lifetime of affliction. So if you were that person that suffered for a hundred years with affliction, one millisecond in the presence of your Savior is going to outweigh every minute of affliction in this life. Years of sickness, years of toil, battling against the various things, maybe even in the situation Paul talked about, battling persecution, and as I share with you, this man that gave his life on a mission field suffered what people would say, he suffered a martyr's death. But yet the second that he stepped out into eternity, every trial, every persecution that he faced was not compared to the, far, the weight of glory that he experienced instantly. When we weigh it upon what God has given us, what God is planning for us, simply one moment in heaven is going to erase all of those afflictions. Afflictions are not going to be in heaven. You're not going to be afflicted. One day before the throne, one day in the presence of the Savior is going to outweigh all of the years of affliction that we experience. I believe Paul is teaching us that this is an act of faith. 
We can't see this. Goes back, he says, we're not looking at the things which are seen. We're looking at the things which are not seen. The very key to understanding this is to understand that Paul describes that all of these weaknesses, all of these afflictions, all of these things that we experience, Paul makes mention even suffering for the sake of the gospel. Paul saw that even his afflictions led to the spiritual life in others as a result of the gospel. We don't know God's intended purpose for all of our earthly afflictions, but sometimes those afflictions will also be used in a proclamation of the gospel. Really, my hope for us tonight is, and, and I've been very, very encouraged by this passage this week. Very personally encouraged. Because we all feel this. We all feel affliction. But to be reminded again about what awaits us is what gives us that strength every day to wake up and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to claim these verses and say, this light affliction, which I'm experiencing right now, it's but for a moment. And it's working in me. And what it's working me for and preparing me for is something that I cannot even describe in human terms. But it's only for a moment. But what awaits me is eternal. I hope that will encourage us tonight. It certainly encouraged me. Well, before we sing our closing hymn, let's just pray together and pray that the Lord will seal these truths uh, deep in our hearts. Father, we want to thank you for the preciousness of your word. And Lord, what a passage of scripture. All of your word is precious, but Lord, tonight this just seems to be what many of us, I believe, needed to hear and needed to be reminded of. And may we have this perspective that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit May we view things not through earthly eyes, but may we view them through the eyes of eternity. And may we keep in mind what awaits us. Lord, as we go through the afflictions of this life, may we always keep before us that even our afflictions are given by the providential hand of an almighty God. Lord, I pray that we would trust in you. May Christ truly be manifested in our bodies and magnified. And we, may we desire to see people come to know Christ as their Savior. We thank you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.